In part one of this message, we started to unpack the prayer of Jesus found in John 17 and made this first point. The parameters of oneness include all believers. Jesus doesn't want us to get along with just a few people, but that they may all be one. His prayer is much deeper than us four and no more. This request for oneness is made with increasing intensity in each verse. In verse 21, that they may all be one. In verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And in verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. True believers in Christ are one, no matter what name is on the church sign. We're redeemed by the same blood and going to the same heaven. That means we share a common unity or community with believers in the past, in the present, and in the future, here in our community and on all the continents. Listen now to part two of a message called Be United with One Another. Let me add a couple cautions to this first point. Let's avoid extreme separatism. Some believers refuse to acknowledge that there are Christians in other churches. Some groups criticize and label people just because they don't hold to the same identical outward standards as they do. That's caution number one. Caution number two, avoid ecumenical sloppiness. The push for ecumenical uniformity among churches should also be avoided. Here's why. There are doctrinal differences. And there are biblical distinctives which must be maintained. Earlier in this same prayer, look at verse 17. Jesus said, said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So truth is alone must determine our alignments. Why? Because frankly, we're not all headed in the same direction. We do not all serve the same God. Only those who are born again are our brothers and sisters in the faith. And sadly, many churches have pursued ecumenical union at the expense of biblical truth. In the 1970s, the struggle was for biblical inerrancy. Today, the debate seems to be centered more on the authority of Scripture, or we could say it this way, on the sufficiency of Scripture. So here's a question we need to ask and answer as a church, but you need to ask and answer it in your homes, on your campuses, in your workplaces, in the community. Will we hold to the authority of Scripture as it relates to biblical creationism, gender, sexuality, the definition of marriage, and the exclusivity of Christ? What will we do? What will you do when cancel culture leads to the canceling of Christians because we believe the Bible? I don't know if you saw this week or heard this. There was a debate in Congress this week about the Equality Act. 
And one brave congressman stood up and started reading from the Bible. Did you see that? Started reading from the Bible. Well, in response, another congressman made this very unsettling comment, and I quote, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. So listen, on a related note, Josh Mulvihill, who spoke here at our grandparents' conference, he made this tweet this week. You ponder this and see if it resonates. Many young people are not on a truth quest, but on a happiness quest. We must convince young people that they will be happiest when they live according to God's truth found in the Bible. Happiness is found in holiness, not apart from it. Third caution, unity doesn't mean uniformity. I quote Augustine again, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's possible to be diverse and yet not be divided. We learned last weekend we're all distinct pieces of the puzzle and our variety is valuable. We have different gifts, different abilities, different personalities, different thoughts, and different opinions. We're not called to be the same. We're called to be one. So we can have harmony even though we're not homogeneous. Don't expect someone, everyone, to be exactly like you and to think the way you think. It's impossible within a diverse church. So Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Number two, the pattern for oneness is linked to the unity within the Trinity. This is a deep truth. Verse 11, Jesus prays for his disciples to experience the oneness which exists in his relationship with the Father. Verse 21, he prays that they also may be in us. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. You and I be one even as Jesus and the Father are one. The unity Christ prays for us is so intimate, so personal, so vital that it's patterned after, it's based upon the relationships that exist within the Trinity. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 captures how truth is tied to the Trinity. There is one body and one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, that's Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Would you observe next? The purpose of oneness is to accelerate evangelism. Look at the last part of verse 21, so that the world may believe. Verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. So we don't just get together and enjoy unity for our own sakes because oneness is ultimately designed to accelerate evangelism. 
And when unity is fractured within a church or between churches, the bridge between believers and unbelievers is effectively blown up. A divided Christian, Christian community denies by its behavior the message it proclaims. Think of it this way. One who is seeking truth is attracted to oneness and harmony in churches. When unity is absent, they can smell it and they'll be turned off by it. And I'm convinced that dissension and disunity have hindered more revivals than you and I can even imagine. Lost people are not looking to be part of another organization which is fighting among themselves. When a future believer looks at followers who are launching verbal grenades at each other, he or she may say, if they can't even agree on the truth among themselves, how could they possibly teach me the truth? One example of how unity among believers led to evangelism happened, well, it happened just this week and all last month, when 16 gospel-preaching churches here in the Quad Cities participated in Moody Radio's initiative to bless 2,000 health care heroes with thank you cards. Edgewood, you're amazing. It's so humbling that over 1,300 thank you cards were written by the people of Edgewood. You put all the churches together, 3,400 thank you cards came in. These notes were put in a bag along with a Chick-fil-A sandwich card for a free sandwich and a gospel book called Anchor for the Soul. I talked to Linda, who's manager of the parish nurse program at Unity Point. I talked to her Friday night. She's a member at First Free. All of those, well, I don't think the Genesis ones are completely delivered yet. 800 of those are going to Unity Point, uh, 1,200 in the Genesis system. But I know at the Unity Point, Rock Island has received them, Moline, Muscatine, and Bettendorf. Bless you, church, for your involvement with that. Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Number four, the practice of oneness puts God's reputation on display to the whole world. Verse 22 says, we've been given the glory which was given to Christ. That's another mind blow. It's like, what? The glory that you've given me, Jesus says, I've given to them. The word glory means weighty or heavy. It represents the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. Literally, Jesus is saying, and I, the glory. So the glory God the Father gave to Jesus has been given to us. Now that's weighty. Brothers and sisters, when we are united the world will stand up and take notice of God because they'll see him glorified in us and through us. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. It doesn't end there. So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oneness gives credence to our claims. And specifically, according to verse 23, the world will know two things. Number one, they'll know God's mission. His mission is to send his son to be savior of the world. They'll also know God's message, his message of love for those that he sent Jesus to die for. 
This means when I violate true Christian unity, I'm hindering the gospel and I'm ruining God's reputation. His mission and his message can get lost in a cacophony of discordant sounds when you and I are disgruntled with fellow followers of Christ. Have you ever wondered if Jesus' prayer has been answered? Well, the first church in Jerusalem uh, did an excellent job with this. Listen to Acts 4.32. They exhibited extravagant oneness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, that unity had an eternal impact on the lives of lost people. Listen to Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Number five, the point of oneness is for us to be absolutely united. Listen again to verse 23. I in them, you in me, Jesus says, that they, he's referring to us, may become perfectly one. The word perfectly derives from a root, conveys the idea of end or aim. It has the idea of maturity and completeness. So the aim of Jesus' prayer is for us to be perfectly one. The mark of a mature disciple is absolute oneness. Our unity with Christ and our submission to him should give us a spirit of humility and sweet harmony with other Christ followers. Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Several years ago, I came across a website. It was simply called One Prayer. I've never forgotten their purpose statement. Here's how it starts. We pray to Jesus, asking him to answer our prayers. Well, most of us would track with that. But here's how the second half of their purpose statement reads. What if we become the answer to his prayer. Let's bring this closer to home. How can I be an answer to Jesus' prayer by fostering unity within the community of Edgewood? First, be a grower. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder, People often say that as it relates to relationships, and I think there's some truth in that. But in our relationship with God, absence can make the heart wander. And listen, when we wander from God, we often go to war with other people. Distance from God can cause discord with others. Let me say it like this. When you're out of whack with God, you can end up taking a whack at someone else. So let me ask a couple questions. Are you growing in your walk with Christ? If you find yourself out of sync with someone, and if you're like, I can't believe I just said those words. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just blew up that relationship. Ask yourself this question. 
Am I walking with Christ? Have I submitted to him? Is there a sin that I need to confess? Am I involved in a pattern of habitual sin? Am I too full of myself? Am I fully surrendered to Christ right now so that the fruit of the Spirit is taking root in my life? That's the first thing. Be a grower. Secondly, be a peacemaker. Instead of judging, gossiping, slandering other people, practice being a peacemaker. Someone has said a gossip is just a fool with a keen sense of rumor. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip betrays a confidence. Remember this rule about gossip. The more interesting it is, uh, the more likely it is to be false. Proverbs six nineteen says, among the things the Lord hates... Do you know the Lord hates some things? Read Proverbs 6. Among those things that he hates is the one who sows discord among the brothers. So let's take it down a notch. Let's work at not being abrasive. Let's cut others some slack. Let's stop looking down on those who sin differently than we do. The Bible calls us to be peacemakers, not peace fakers, not peace breakers. And so whether you've been wronged by another believer or maybe you're the one who's done wrong, the Bible says we're to go and we're to meet face to face and seek reconciliation can read more about that in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18. We're to initiate reconciliation whether it's our fault or not. So if someone has a grudge against you, follow God's nudge and do what you can to make it right. If you have something against someone, go and meet with him or her. Listen, don't fall for Satan's schemes. Be an answer to the prayer of Jesus. I wonder, anyone filled with bitterness because you've refused to forgive someone for something they've done or said to you? It be time to repair that, whether that's a relationship in your home or in the house of God. Keep short accounts with people. Be like the young child who was overheard reciting the prayer given to the disciples and forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who have passed trash against us. Are you passing around any trash? Get rid of it before it stinks. Romans 12, 18 doesn't allow us to be nonchalant about unity. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So in that ruptured relationship you might be thinking of right now, have you done everything possible as far as it depends on you to deal with the discord or are you being too passive? Number three, be a uniter. Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The New American Standard is a bit stronger. 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Question, what one thing can you do this week to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Thomas Brooks, a Puritan preacher, once said this, Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another lamb, well, that's unnatural and monstrous. Are you willing to be an answer to Jesus' prayer? The Navigators, that's a Christ-centered ministry devoted to discipleship, has developed a relational covenant they require of all their staff members. I'm going to read it. I'm going to put it up on the screen as well. And when I'm done reading it, we're just going to pause and be quiet, and we're all going to turn and just look at that and in the hopes that we'll make this covenant our own. We personally and corporately agree and commit to, number one, pursue reconciliation, and when possible, resolution in all interpersonal conflicts. Number two, talk directly to those with whom we experience conflict rather than talking about them to others. Number three, be edifying in our discussions about others. And number four, hold each other accountable when we violate this commitment. A week ago, I painted our back room while listening to an audio book called Into the Wild. It was written by John Krakauer. Perhaps some of you have read it or listened to the book. I think it's also a movie. This book chronicles a tragic story. It's the story of Christopher McCandles and his quest for purpose and meaning in life. After refusing to forgive his parents, bitterness put down this deep root in his life. And once he graduated from Emory College in Georgia, any money he had, he gave it all away. And there's a scene where he emptied even the dollars out of his pocket and he burned all of his money. He spent the next couple years just traveling around the United States in search of purpose and meaning. Eventually, he made it to Alaska where he settled in an abandoned bus in the remote wilderness. And at first, he seemed to enjoy the isolation, but after a few months, he experienced acute loneliness. After ingesting some poisonous berries, he wrote these words in the margin of Dr. Zhivago, which was the last book he would ever read. Here are the words. Happiness only real when shared. He died unhappy, isolated, bitter, and alone. And he scribbled these words next to this sentence from the book. And so it turned out that only a life similar to the life of those around us, merging it without a ripple, is genuine life. And that all unshared happiness is not happiness. And this was the most vexing of all. God wants us to be one, but not alone. Because we are one, not four. 
Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. Are you willing to be an answer to his prayer? Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to hear more messages like this one, go to edgewoodbaptist.net or download our free mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play by searching for Edgewood QC. If you don't have a church family, we'd love to have you as a guest at one of Edgewood's three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. We have a full children's program during both Sunday services. My name is Matt Williams and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.